Good morning, our dear listeners. Welcome to PWS Nigeria's podcast called Let's Talk Energy, where we discuss energy topics across the world. Today, we will be discussing the emerging downstream sector and the looming suspension of the PIA. The downstream sector is one of the three major sectors of the oil and gas industry, which embodies the refining of petroleum crude oil and the processing and purifying of raw natural gas, as well as the marketing and distribution of products derived from crude oil and natural gas. The downstream sector reaches consumers through products such as gasoline, petrol, kerosene, jet fuel, diesel oil, lubricant, waxes, natural gas, and LPG. The downstream process can be thought of as the steps closest to the consumer, who is ultimately using the oil to fill up their cars, power their engines, power their generators, and use it in their daily life. In 2021, the Nigerian president, uh, Mohamed Bouhari, signed the Petroleum Industry Act into law, bringing to a close a 20-year effort by the country to reform the Nigerian oil and gas sector. Um, the major objective of this action was to create an enabling environment conducive for growth for the sector and also address some legitimate grievances around communities uh, most impacted by the extractive industry. These reforms included, amongst others, um, a new regulatory authority, uh, which is the Nigerian Mainstream and Downstream Petroleum Regulatory Authority. And this new authority consists of the defunct PPRA, which is the Petroleum Product Pricing Regulatory Agency, the agency that basically used to determine uh, the price of PMS, um, and the defunct Petroleum Equalization Fund Management Board. And some elements of the defunct Department of Petroleum Resources um, the Act also transforms the NNPC, right, setting up an NNPC Limited, uh, which will be commercially driven, um, as added responsibility um, also to deregulate PMS, amongst others, petroleum products. I'm here today with Moshu Dolajide to discuss this important topic. Moshu Dolajide is an executive director responsible for finance and business support at Adova PLC. Adova PLC is a Nigerian-leading indigenous and integrated energy company involved in the distribution of petroleum products. Adova PLC and its subsidiaries have over 550 retail outlets across the country, as well as other significant downstream assets. Prior to joining Adova PLC, Moshud was a partner at PricewaterhouseCoopers, as he was previously my boss and was responsible for the financial reporting, regulatory services, statutory audits, um, infrastructure deals, uh, mining deals, structuring, general tax advisory, compliance, client training, and a whole lot of others. Very early in his career, I'm proud to join PwC, he was at Aluko and Uyibadi, a foremost Nigerian law firm where he had the responsibilities for general legal advisory, company secretariat, negotiation of commercial contracts, litigation and arbitration. From an education and certificate standpoint, Moshud holds an LLB from Bafemi Awolowo University, an LLM degree from Columbia Law School. He is also a member of the Association of Chartered Certified Accountants, ACCA, with the Nigerian Bar Association, the New York County Law Association, and finally, but not the least, the Chartered Institute of Taxation of Nigeria. Welcome, Mashud. Thank you very much, Babatunde. Good to see you again. Uh, 
I'm Babasin Dolani. I'm the senior manager in the tax and regulatory unit in PwC, and I'm part of the core PwC team supporting clients in the private and public sector navigate the post-PIA era. So, Moshu, let's get right into it. Looking at the downstream sector, what are your thoughts around the value chain and the workings around what the major players are doing in that sphere today? Thanks, Babasin, and uh, like I said, it's very, very nice to be here. I feel back at home at PwC. You're welcome. Um, so for context, right, and I think you kind of described it earlier on, the downstream sector in Nigeria largely consists of inland storage. I mean, we like to put refinery in that bucket, but there's really, really no, not significant number of refinery, at least not in the order of consumption that we have in Nigeria. So yes, maybe we can put refinery there, but the biggest chunk of downstream starts from inland storage of refined products. Um, downstream transportation, that's inland transportation, basically trucking of the products and the retail of this product. And so I'm talking about filling stations, um, gas stations and and, and things like that. And the major products um, are petrol. We we call it PMS because it just sounds more fancy than petrol. Um, Diesel, uh, we call it AGO, um, that's automotive gas oil. Um, DPK, which is kerosene, um, ATK, which is aviation for um, bitumen, LPG, um, some level of CNG, and um, some other uh, products in that line. But these products are listed at the at the major component of of of, of the products that 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 exist within the downstream space in Nigeria. Now, what you see in the space is that different players um, like different components of this space. So some, some players are just in storage. So you have downstream players that are just in storage. You have downstream players that are in transportation um, for, for whatever is worth, despite the nature of the roads in Nigeria, the downstream transport um, assets are actually the largest transport assets within the space. Um, um, maybe the only bigger um, transport asset will be the cement transport assets. Um, so you have the transportation and then you have the retail outlets. Uh, based on some surveys that have been done in the past, we have close to 30,000 retail outlets um, in the country. So you have some players who are just owners of owners or operators of retail outlets. They don't have any transport infrastructure. So um, Nigeria has about 30,000 retail outlets and you have some players in the downstream space who are just in that retail space. So basically they own, they own or operate retail outlets. So Again, just to summarize, you have some players who are just depot owners, storage owners, um, transporters who are just truck owners, um, to put it very bluntly. And you have some who are just retail station owners or operators. But the bigger players within the space have some level of integration. So you would find most of the very, very big players having interest across that value chain. So having some interest in storage, having some interest in transportation and having retail outlets. And the reason is that the the value, the commercial value within the downstream space um, spans through all of these buckets. So the more of the buckets that you can um, take, um, the more value you can retain um, commercially as a business. So that, that that's how I would I would say the um, the the space is structured. Yeah, thank you very much, Monshuit, for that response. And I think I'm just curious, right? Because if I look at um, the business models that you just highlighted to us, right? Um, I think that is largely driven on importation of these products. 
right? And I know that one of the major objectives of the PIA and the recent actions of the government is basically to kind of domesticate the refining capacity, right? So how are companies, the major players in that space, trying to adapt and put that within their strategy going forward? I, I think that's a very, very good question. From, from my perspective, right, and from, from the, I would say, the little I know of, of, of this space, even though that's what I do on a daily basis, um, no matter what happens from a refining capacity, you will still need storage space um, because you cannot expect that you will truck out your daily consumption from any refining location every day. So there will still have, there will still have to be some level of storage, right? And so storage will still exist. Transportation will still exist. And to the extent that cars are not going to drive to refineries to get fuel, there will still be retail outlets. So whichever way um, this goes, there will still be significant need for storage space. For energy security, Nigeria aims to have a 30-day consumption in storage. So that means that even if there is a refining capacity, Nigeria still would like to have uh, 30 days consumption in storage so that if the refining capacity goes down or if there's any problem whatsoever with the refining capacity, um, there is um, for to be uh, to, to be provided to, to consumers within within that space. So I think that what will change significantly if refining capacity increases significantly within our space is that um, you will find players focusing more on the um, on the local components of our value chain and moving away from importing a lot of the product. Um, I think that's still way in the future because mm -hmm. I don't see any refining capacity coming on board in any, uh, in any shape or form that will completely eliminate importation. It will significantly reduce it, but it's not going to eliminate um, importation of petroleum products. Mm, that, that that's great, Marshall. And thank you, thank you for that. And I think one of the points that you mentioned around the thirty thousand retail outlets, retail, uh, retail outlets, and also the storage capacity that government tries to to keep, that kind of brings my mind to think about what recently happened, right, in that space, right, and how that is connected to every individual, right. You know, including myself, I've been running Gen now for um, twenty four seven for the past one week, right. Um, so. Extending that, can you just let us know what are the perennial challenges that companies within that space are facing and um, how, what makes you not sleep well at night as, as an executive director of major player? So just, just to make sure that we, we're not mixing oranges with apples, right? The reason why you're using generator in your house <laughs> is slightly different from the perennial problem within the downstream space. Now, what has happened in the last one week is that I think there's been two instances of system collapse, right? Um, so the uh, our, our infrastructure to deliver electricity has collapsed, I think, once or twice in the last one or two weeks. So that has meant that people have had to use the generators more. Um, now, that is coming, unfortunately, at a time when um, there's a significant increase in the price of crude oil. And obviously, the consequence is significant increase in the price of refined products. So um, AGO, which people use mostly to power heavy equipment like generators. So what has happened, right, is that people are buying AGO at a very, very high price. I think the price has doubled in, it's doubled in the last like one three month. Weeks um, so I don't want to give prices here so that it doesn't feel like ours <laughs> is the cheapest. <laughs> but, um, free marketing. <laughs> yeah, so... I mean, the price has has almost doubled in the last in the last um, one or two months. So imagine you having to pay double for diesel and then not having grid power at all. So you're going to feel it more. So that's what has happened in the last one or two weeks. But now to go back to your 
our primary question, which is about the perennial challenges within, within this space. For me, I think the most critical challenge within this space is infrastructure, right? Um, the storage infrastructure. So most of the storage infrastructure that exists within this space, I dare to say about 50% of it are probably over 30 years old. Wow. Um, and transport infrastructure, they are, <laughs> I don't even, I mean, I, I don't have the data, so I, I hesitate to make very, very clear uh, statement about it. But I mean, you can just stand on Lagos by the expressway and watch the <laughs> tankers going in and out and just evaluate for yourself what you think are the conditions of those trucks. Um, they are in very, very bad shape. Um, I, I, I don't think that there has been a deliberate effort to renew the transport infrastructure within that space in, in any recent past. So you have dilapidated uh, storage infrastructure, you have dilapidated transport infrastructure, and you have mostly dilapidated retail infrastructure. So all of that um, obviously um, affect efficiency. They affect the ability to have a seamless um, operation within that space. So one of the things that happened maybe earlier this year was that there was the incident of contaminated products being imported into the country. Now, when you have that kind of problem within a value chain that is challenged like ours from an infrastructure perspective, it becomes very, very difficult for you to quickly deal with it because what it means to deal with it is to truck out in very, very large volumes. You don't have the trucks. The trucks that you have, are they can't make Abuja in three days mm. from Lagos. So you're, you're really, really in trouble if anything happens within that space. So the space literally from an infrastructure perspective survives on a very, very difficult assumption that things don't really go wrong. And that's why when very small things go wrong, you feel the impact for a very, very long period of time because we don't have the right capacity to deal, um, to deal, with, um, to deal with these kind of challenges. That's number one. Number two is um, the, uh, the big elephant of subsidy. Mm -hmm. I don't know if to call it subsidy these days or to call We're it under recovery. But it's a challenge uh, because to the extent that um, the government regulates um, what you get as a business, it's difficult. Efficiency becomes very difficult for you because no matter what you do, the government caps or the government limits what, what exactly is the commercial advantage you can get uh, with, within, within the space. Because of that cap, there's been um, a dearth of investment uh, within that space. A lot of players have been unable to make investments because you can't raise the right financing because... Um, banks look at you and they feel that you are you are regulated you are you are working within a a regulated um, space that um, the ability for you to enhance value to increase your margins to drive efficiency to um, improve your bottom line significantly is very 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 limited because the government um, puts you in a bucket more or less or puts you in a box so obviously that subsidy or that under recovery whichever word you choose to use. Um, impact infrastructure because Def most definitely exactly because it now becomes a vicious circle. And then the third thing is um, technology, right? Uh, we still we still use very very um, old technology within the space. I mean, if you travel out of the country, the retail, the downstream infrastructure, the downstream technology has moved far um, ahead of Nigeria and. Um, that, that continues to be a challenge. It continues to be a challenge in terms of driving efficiency within your business. It continues to be a challenge in terms of putting in place um, very, very workable loyalty programs because um, this, these things rely on technology for deployment. And uh, so do, for me, if you tell me, if you ask me for the three 
biggest challenges within that space. I'll, I'll take government um, perspective with respect to subsidy. That's the under recovery conversation, infrastructure, and then technology. And obviously, technology is part of infrastructure. So they are, the three of them are kind of linked. Yeah, more or less. yeah. I'm sure. I think you touched on one of my pain points really when you talked about that um, contaminated fuel. Yes. Right. Because I still ask myself, right. I even wanted to call into a radio show one time. And now that I have you as an insider, right, how did that happen? Because from a look test, right, I think once we see it, at the first test, I don't need to be a professional. And once I see it, I know this is not for. But how did that happen? So um, it's, a, it's not that easy, right? So when what happens is that when products are brought into the country, uh, the regulators require a test on the product before the product is discharged into storage tanks. Now, the test includes some parameters, right? However, the particular parameter that would have picked this contamination, right, is not included in our standard testing for product, wow. right? So that is what happened. Now, the Nigerian spec for PMS is known by everybody, right? So... But when those products, when the product comes into the country, there's there's a test that is done that includes parameters that are set by the regulators. Now, these particular products that are, that are contaminated, uh, the contamination is in respect of parameters that are not tested normally. That's how the product got into the country. So that's how the product got into our tanks, right? Because if the contamination had been in respect of one of the parameters that are ordinarily tested, then obviously the product would, not, would have been Treated as off spec, yeah. right? So that that's what happened. Now, when you say from a look perspective, right, that look that you saw at the station, yes, right, right, and the videos that you and saw on social media, yes, that's not the that's not the look when the product was delivered. So it's a it's a progressive deterioration, oh, right? So okay. even from a look perspective, we would not have picked it when the product was being pumped oh, into tanks, uh-huh. right? So it happened subsequently. So it's not like we're all idiots that we saw a black, <laughs> a black liquid, and uh, we still, we st- we still didn't say anything. So that that that's basically what happened. Yeah, because I, I said that uh, if there's anybody that has been damaged, you know, there's been question as who will pay for the damage. So th- there is a framework by the government to pay for the damage, but obviously, as with all government policies around this, there's need to ensure that there's no fraud in that process. So. We need to be sure that right there there are actual losses and what are those losses? They need to be proved so that those administrative processes <laughs> might even prevent you from in Nigeria. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank you for that insight, Marshall. Very very insightful. Right. So I think um, looking at the challenges that you highlighted, right? I think um, thinking through it while you were speaking, I, I'm tempted to think that it's all doom and gloom, right? So what what would you think? could be the turning point for the sector and then in essence to kind of attract investment uh, necessary for upscaling, replacement of the steel infrastructure, and also I'm trying to address some of the technology problems that you highlighted. I think like I like like I said earlier, it's the big elephant in the room. It's subsidy. this subsidy conversation and these whether you call it subsidy or you call it under recovery. Now, from a pure commercial perspective, there's nobody you speak to, right? I think we are all aligned in the industry. Um, operators, regulators, onlookers, analysts like yourselves, professional service firms like yourselves, we all agreed that the government can't continue with under-recovery, they can't continue with subsidy. Even the government agrees with it, right? However, it becomes a political conversation. It becomes a 
what do we do for the masses conversation. It becomes a how do we manage inflation conversation, right? So for me, I think unless we find a solution to this under recovery, right, um, the industry is not going to turn around much. Now, is it all doom and gloom? I, I don't think so. If it was all doom and gloom, I think we would have closed shop, right? There yeah, must still be some money to be made um, for, us, for us to remain in Why business. Why are looking so good? <laughs> so, I mean, there's, there's, there's still um, some money to be made, but if you're, if you're thinking about a, a, a holistic turnaround of, of this space, um, there has to be a conversation around on the recovery. For the government, from the government's perspective, the government can't afford it. It's very simple. The government can't afford it. It's very, I mean, straightforward. I read in the newspapers yesterday that there's potential to raise debt to pay <laughs> subsidy, right? So it, it's counterintuitive, right? Um, so you would see that, I mean, it doesn't pass the smell test that we continue to subsidize uh, PMS. So I, I, I think that um, um, the removal of subsidy or the, the uh, dealing with subsidy, right? Whichever way uh, the government chooses to deal with it, will go a long way making this sector more commercially viable. It will encourage investment in this sector. And it's it's not really, really impossible, right? So kerosene was what we thought was the most difficult product to deregulate. Uh, kerosene has been deregulated for years now, and, and we're all alive. Um, AGO is deregulated as diesel, right? Mm -hmm. It's completely deregulated. Uh, jet fuel is completely deregulated. So PMS is the last... Um, is the last item yeah. on, on the long list of items that were originally regulated. And uh, it almost seems like everyone is bleeding and everybody knows everybody is bleeding. So it, it's just a matter of time. I believe that we'll all come back and address this very, very big elephant in the room because I, I don't see, particularly in 2022, I, I don't even know how the government plans to deal with this, with this, with this challenge. Um, the landing price of PMS today, that's petrol, it's at least double what is being sold at the pump. So at the very minimum, right, it's double what is being sold at the pump. So it means that for every liter of petrol that you buy, the government is subsidizing it by 165 naira. So think about it. We consume, depending on what you ask, we consume between 35 and 50 million liters of PMS every day, right, depending on the data points that you are, that you are picking. Let's stick, let's stick with the lower end of the data points, 35 million. Multiply 35 million by 165 naira. That's what the government is literally throwing at petrol every day. Um, in a country where we don't have enough funding to fund capital projects, we don't have, I mean, it's, it's impossible. Yeah, I think, Moshud, you make some very, very good points. But I think I want to advocate for the layman. I don't know if I'm qualified to advocate for the layman, but you know, they say Nigeria is the poverty capital of the world. And I want you to also advocate for, as an independent person now, yes. right? Do you think an average Nigerian can pay a cost-reflective price for PMS? Um, what is average Nigerian paying today? And are you saying the average Nigerian poor man that you're talking about is the guy that drives a car, right? Uh, I mean, there's several questions that are embedded in the question you have asked, right? Yeah. Um, most economic decisions are not based on silver bullets. They are based on pros and cons, right? So you will never come to a decision, an economic decision that is good for everyone, every time, right? You would have to always think of the circumstances that you found yourself in. What are the pros and cons of the decision that you're about to make and what is best in the interest of most of Nigerians? 
I am very, very confident, and I'm not saying this because I'm an industry participant. I'm very, very confident that removing subsidy or removing under recovery, whichever word you choose to use for it, is in the best interest of most Nigerians, right? Including those people you call the poor in Nigeria. Yeah, I don't believe those are the guys that are driving the cars that are enjoying the subsidy the most. The guys that are enjoying the subsidy the most are you and I, because we drive, you have a car, your wife has a car, you take your kids to school, you are the one that is enjoying the subsidy the most, not the guy on the street, right? So my view is that the government can raise money from petrol, not um, pour money into mm. petrol. It's, it's, it's more, more or less you're subsidizing consumption, right? If you are talking about, and I'm obviously by no chance advocating for this, but if you are talking about government subsidizing bread, like it's done in a country, I can have a conversation with you about that. But petrol is not... Um, largely consumed by the people you call the poor people. By the way, when they say poor, I think the index relates to living less than a dollar a day, right? Yeah, around that. Exactly. Those are not the guys buying petrol. <laughs> For sure, those are not the guys buying petrol because <laughs> petrol is a third of a dollar right now. So, yes. And one liter is used less to you, right? Mm. So two, three liters, you're already at a dollar. So we're not talking about those guys. Those are not the guys that are being subsidized by the government right now. So when people bring up the argument of how do you expect the lay guy on the streets to buy petrol when you remove subsidy, what I say to them is that actually they were never buying. They're not the ones buying. We've always been subsidizing the rich guys like you. How about the small-scale businesses that depend on a better pass my neighbor generator and things like that? Because they as well fall into the argument. So. See, this, is, this, is the, this is the exact argument people make about electricity tariffs, right? And the thing about um, demand and supply and economics generally is that you still pay that price, right? Whether you see it or not, right? So you don't want to pay a cost-reflective tariff for electricity, for example, but you still buy generator, right? Mm -hmm. And you buy petrol <laughs> in that generator, and you service that generator, and you have, um, you have my friend Engineer. who is a mechanic that is constantly collecting salary from you mm. for not fixing your generator properly. So by the time you add your total cost of consumption, right, you will find out that it, it would have been better if you just agreed for the grid to provide 24-hour <laughs> power supply at a cost-reflective tariff. This grid that I is mean, collapsing. Exactly. And that, that was the next point I was going to go to. That You then make the argument that, how am I sure that if I pay a cost-reflective price, I'm going to get value for what I'm getting? Yeah. But yes, um, Unfortunately, it has to be chicken. It has to be chicken before the egg, right? <laughs> uh, you 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 can say that maybe this chicken will not lay five eggs, right? But if you don't have the chicken at all, you actually cannot even get to egg laying part of it, right? I think that um, unfortunately we are at that point in Nigeria where we have to just figure out how to get the chicken, and when we get the chicken, we can then think of how to make sure we feed the chicken very well, and then the chicken lays the right mm -hmm. the right type and size of eggs. But if you keep saying, oh, this chicken might not lay the egg, and because of that, you don't raise the chicken at all, you'll never get the egg. So I, I, I see the logic in um, the arguments you're trying to articulate, but my view is that at the end of the day, we pay more um, when we don't pay cost-reflective. Indirectly. Um, uh, yes, when we, when we are not cost-reflective, we pay more indirectly. Yeah. So I think just moving on to the solutions, now I think we've spoken a lot about problems, problems here and the subsidy. Right, and the PIA, right, understands that this there is a problem around the pricing of PMS, right? And it has been legislated in the act that the prices of petroleum products must be cost reflective. Right. How has the industry received the PIA in itself and the 
potential application of this provision or non-application of this provision of the law by the federal government? I mean, I think as an industry, and obviously, um, it would be it would be very funny of me to try to speak for the industry, right? I can only speak for myself and what I know. Um, but my view is that legislation by their very nature are um, means to an end. They are not an end in themselves. So the PIA is by no means perfect, but yeah. it's a step in the right direction, right? So um, was the industry very um, excited that the PIA was finally passed? Yes. Did the PIA achieve uh, most of the aspirations of the industry? I would say no. But it's a journey, right? At least now we have a template. Uh, the government can go back and amend the PIA and we can continue to amend just the same way we've been amending our constitution. So it's, it's a journey. Um, I think the biggest point for the downstream space in the PIA is the subsidy removal uh, provision. And unfortunately, that is now the part of the PIA that is going to be suspended, right? Um, I I kind of understand the politics, or right? Yeah, I kind of understand the politics. Eighteen months is very convenient. That's when the next president uh, gets sworn <laughs> in. So the, the reason for the suspension and the logic of the suspension is clear mm-hmm. in the length of the suspension that is being proposed, yeah. right? So and I kind of get it, right? We're going into an election and nobody wants to be labeled as the black, uh, the black sheep or the um, the enemy of the masses, mm-hmm. right? Um. I don't know what that solution is because I'm not a politician, right? But I think we're just um, kicking the can down the way. Now, whether we're going to survive to 18 months, right, economically, because we would always be Nigeria. I believe that Nigeria would always be Nigeria, right? Sure. But whether we will be in this same shape or we will be badly battered um, in 18 months because of the way prices have gone is something that, that, that we'll wait to see. But it, it's, it's going to be very, very challenging for the government to hold on to subsidy for the next 18 months in the current year. I guess there are a lot of options they have. They can increase the price without still making it cost reflective. So for example, I said the price of PMS has probably doubled. They can move the price a little bit up and then reduce the extent of the subsidy that is being paid. There are a couple of levers they can pull, but um, keeping it in its current form for 18 months, I think will be very challenging. I think you made reference to the electricity sector. I also understood that the federal government indirectly removed the subsidy on the electricity tariff without letting the consumers know. And I'm, I'm not very, um, I'm not very current as to the legislation within that space, but I know that my tariff has gone up, right? In my house, mm. at least I can speak for what I pay. Uh, I know what I pay per kilowatt hour has gone up. Um, do I think it's a step in the right direction? Absolutely, right? Am I getting value for it yet? Maybe not. Right? <laughs> so that kind of like, that kind of contradicts, you know, that chicken and the egg situation. That you, you're you not going to get the chicken on day one and get the egg on day one. I don't believe so. I think you're going to get the chicken for some time and then get the egg, okay. right? But if you don't allow the chicken to grow, you will not get the egg. So, so buying the chicken alone is not enough. Yeah. You, have to, you, have to, you have to nurture the chicken. So I think, so just to understand you clearly, right, and I think it does make sense, right, that the chicken has to come before the egg and there will be some painful periods right, when you are nurturing the chicken and getting the chicken in the right shape to lay the appropriate eggs. Correct. And I think that's something that um, Nigerians and our listeners right, should, um, should I say, take on board as well um, going forward. Um, I think lastly, right, and just looking at it from an investment standpoint, because I think that's one way and the only way in which um, this industry can can grow 
right, is how do we see the private sector and the regulator, because it's a highly regulated industry, how do we expect these two major stakeholders uh, to come together, work together to achieve an environment that is favorable to all, including the consumers of the Nigerian people? I think communication and trust. We have to continue to talk. Um, we have to continue to explore. I have to trust that you have the best interest of the industry at heart. Um, you have to trust that I have the best interest of the industry at heart. And we need to continue talking. Um, the, the objectives of the regulators are very clear and they are noble. So you cannot say that protecting the common man on the street is not a noble objective. You cannot yeah, say that it is. Um, ensuring health, safety and um, protection of the environment is not a noble objective. So all those objectives, I have to understand them as an industry player that they are noble objectives and the moderate commercial aspirations of the private sector players must also be understood by the government. Um, commercial players are in it for commercial um, rewards. And obviously the, there are other aspirations that, that go with commercial reward, but um, if you make it completely impossible for me to turn a return on a business, then you're killing the viability. Thank you, Moshe, for your time today. And I think before we let you go, just want to just find out if you have any final words. Um, none. I think I've covered most of the most of the answers that I have to your question. So nothing, nothing more to say. So thank you again, Moshe. And I think we can just summarize by just speaking to some of the insights that came from the conversation. Right? How lack of infrastructure is a major challenge. Um, the PIA was an initial, I say, was the positives we are initially received by, by the industry, right? But the suspension of the, the cost-reflective price for PMS by 18 months is something that government needs to still look at, right? And I would say that um, continue cordial com the op open line of communications, right? Between, between, private, sector between private sector and the regulators is key to to moving the industry forward. Thank you again, Moshit, for your time. Thanks a lot, Babatini, and like I said, good to see you again. Same here.